Welcome to this week's news from the drug war front. My name is Jeff. My co-presenter, as per usual, is Marion. Good morning to you, Marion. Good morning, Jeffrey, and good morning, listener. How are we this morning? It's sunny. Yahoo! It's a nice-looking day. <laughs> Absolutely, although it says it's going to rain, so... Anyway, we're at news from the drug war front and that's what's important. Won't dampen our spirits. No, no. And the sun be shining. Indeed. We've been poured upon for days. So although my um, ground cover out the side is very happy and smiling at me. Good. Getting the washing done is an absolute Uh, nightmare. (laughs) As soon as you decide to do it, boom, that's it. It'll rain for sure. There are so many bizarre weather events happening Uh, around the world, aren't there? I don't think anyone can argue legitimately climate change. Yeah, the opposite to it. It just doesn't make sense. Pretty hard, isn't it? You'd have to have your head in the mud, yeah, to argue it with any, um, I don't know, genuine sincerity and say it's just not happening because... I don't care what you say, it's happening. Yeah, look, the oil companies have documents going back to the 70s where they <sighs> they realised the science was going to catch up with uh, their product and um, and really the latest UN report is, is you know, they're always Absolutely, 1.5 degrees. This one yeah, was... In this t- oh, it's just, it's crazy, Jeff. But So I hope everybody's listening and taking note because... Uh, we need to get things changed as soon as we can because we really don't know how long this planet's going to last. Why would you take a risk? And on as they say, there's no planet B. That's so, right. You know, I don't want to go and live in Mars and some... Hit. No, it takes seven years to get there anyway, Jeffrey. I don't think I've got that much time left. That, that just doesn't cut it, really. No, not a good... No, no excuse, Jeff. No excuse. There's no excuse. So much space junk out there. We don't want to start chucking people out there as well. And all these people that say, oh, what about the economy, you know, the Uh, coal coal worker jobs and blah, blah, blah. Well, without a viable planet. Without a planet. There is no economy. There's no planet to help with the economy. And people, Jeff, people have to stay alive for anything to matter anyway. And... At the rate we're going, we're we're drowning islands, yeah, yeah, and not accepting migration. No, very yeah, tough on that. Reduced amount of migration, but if you're polluting the atmosphere, to what extent can you say, okay, we'll drown your island, but you can't come and live with us, where we're busy polluting to the extent that we're drowning your island? I mean, I just, I don't yeah. get. No. People that think that way do not get politicians who can say, no, no, we're With not responsible face. for that. Yeah. And what's more, we're not taking any of you people in here because you don't look like us. Well, remember back Whoever uh, in the is. day when I, one of the Liberal Coalition ministers made a joke about rising sea levels in one of the oh. Pacific Islands he was visiting yes. and got caught on camera, which is very distasteful. But if we're such great neighbours of our Pacific, you know, uh, neighbours. Jeffrey, we spent 10 years being lousy neighbours, if you remember, until the change of government. And one of the first things that Penny Wong did was whoop over to the Pacific Islands. And she did a brilliant job. Started off like a house on Absolutely, fire. Absolutely, but had to be done. I mean, yeah. the fact that it was ignored for so long. Evan Scomo had the audacity to go on holiday in Hawaii yeah, that was when some of the closer islands would have been more preferable, but he would have then had to say, how come we weren't funding Actually, yeah. Yeah, Samoa or 
yeah, Fiji or whatever, I mean, and why we were letting the Chinese get away with the Belt and Road Initiative. And if, because if you sit and think about Belt and Road Initiative, does that not mean surrounding? That's what I took it to well, mean, it's a way surrounding ex- the earth. Expanding their influence through Absolutely. loans. And and you just have to have the bucks to do it. Yeah. And if we're not offering the bucks, they'll take it from somewhere else. Of course they will. Well, and America, uh, American CEOs of corporations were the ones who said, oh, wouldn't it be great to outsource all those high-paying union jobs in America oh, over yes. to China where we can pay and then and then have an argument with them. Excellent job. When, when their, their economy goes gangbusters. And crazy. And the Chinese crazy. have got a long-term perspective and they can't blame. No, blame. I only think about the next uh, political cycle, yes, the, the election cycle. So yeah. in, in the States it's four years. Yeah. yeah pretty well for the president anyway. Yes. Yeah. And by that time it's usually a half-Senate election or a yeah, half-rep election half or something. Rep, yeah. It's just... And you just have to think we, they are just not thinking about it. And if and Dodo's on his way back again. Yeah, got his raising his head again. To it's a real worry. A real problem. Yeah, it's a I real would problem. have thought. Although now there are some Republicans saying, "No, no, I'm going to stand against him." Yeah, the Florida governor Ron DeSantis <sighs> seems like a, yes. a possibility, but really, their, their political system is really. Oh, out of control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we don't really have the right to criticise them. I mean, who who has the heart to help has the right to criticise. Is that not right? Yeah, I can't so, argue I mean, with that. I think that's the bottom line: is if we can't help ourselves, how can we criticise somewhere else? And although, yeah, that's the way you do it. You deflect the argument yes. to somewhere else where things look worse yeah. than they do here. And we've got a couple of stories from the states. We of do. course. We do have some stories from the yeah. States. So, And that make, makes this morning really interesting. I think the one about um, booty bumping, if we get to it, is really interesting. Yes, I hadn't uh, it's about been aware a of that. Safer a safer way, way of, of taking methamphetamine. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, interesting uh, article. Um, I've also got a very interesting piece on Brazil. You know, I've just had a change of president. but Oh, yes, that uh, is interesting, isn't it? Um, the previous fellow, uh, Bolsonaro, was using the drug laws to As incarcerate a lot else. of people yep. and also go into... The um, favelas. But also go into the lands of Indigenous peoples, yes. which were meant to be protected, yep. and letting people well, deforest. Well, the whole of Amazon or, is meant to be protected in, without even thinking about yeah. the uh, Indigenous people along the Amazon, who and they have made such a mess of the river. Terrible. And clearing the, the trees and, I mean... I think it's at Norway the, or the whole of the Scandinavian area that have actually funded the Amazon region to be country saved by country to yeah. make sure it stays the lungs of the earth. Well, wow, it's crucial, and, crucial. And yet Bolsonaro was busy pulling down trees, pulling down the lungs, destroying the lungs. And I, oh, yeah. it's horrifying to think of, Jeff. Yeah, yeah I've got an interest, interesting story on that too. Indeed. All right, um, so welcome, listeners, um, for uh, or to today's edition of News from the Drug War Front, which is brought to you by Karma, uh, the Canberra Alliance for Harmonisation and Advocacy, and also The Connection, which is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for First Nations clients, which is uh, really important. Um, News from the Drug War Front promotes uh, the broad array of services provided by Karma, and it's uh, ever-increasing the... Uh, partnerships and, Indeed, you know, yeah. the clinic on Thursday, the Reach, Teach, Treat. Um, we've gone a lot, a, a long, 
long way from nalox- just naloxone. Absolutely. Um, they've got some fabulous... We've got some fabulous programs happening from Karma and, they, as you say, they're not in, not only increasing in in the nature and the kind of programs but also in the locations and the people that they're, we're reaching out to. And that's really important because um, making sure that... Uh, we have educated healthcare workers or just welfare workers um, who will understand drug users and where they're coming from and accept that drug use exists. Yes. will only allow drug users to attend those services more willingly and with less stigma attached. It's bad enough that we stigmatise ourselves, let alone having to feel guilty about turning up to a service that we need help from. Because yeah. um, I know there are many people who will not go to other healthcare services simply because they feel discriminated against. And they are. We're the only bunch of people that it's not illegal, and I'm sorry about the double negative, not illegal to discriminate against. And I'm saying, I know I say that every week, and I know it probably bores people stupid, but... We need to keep it in mind. And that's why organisations like Karma are so important. Anna Dave's doing a hoop-de-do job of reaching out and doing uh, naloxone training. Oh, he's extended to all sorts of services like... Really um, exciting. And and this next one's on the 2nd of April, the next one for users at the Early Morning Centre. Yep. Um, first Tuesday of every month. So that's, that's right. Um, so there's one next week next at 2 o'clock at the Early Morning Centre. That's right. Yep. The telephone numbers for that, 62533643 and speak to Dave. That's Karma. And 62475041 and ask to speak to Nicole. Um, and get your name down so that we know how many people are going to turn up or we need to accommodate, or Dave needs to accommodate, or Damo, in the next training session. Yeah. Anyway, just Dave's thought I'd slip that in there. great work extending, you know, he did a, a training service. I have to service. congratulate him. It's a beautiful program, and it runs really well. Yes. It takes an hour to an hour and a half to go through, and it's not only an education about the use of naloxone, but also about um, where you might find drug users, which yep. is everywhere. Yep. You just can't see them. No. <laughs> We're not identifiable simply by... There's no DU, IDU on Tattooed our forehead, on forehead that no. identifies us because no. you don't know who they Look, are. It's crucial to get that education and also naloxone out as wide as possible. To the wider community. As many as people as possible. I still think everyone should have naloxone. Absolutely. It's not hard to use. No. Very easy to waste a dose, but so not harmful to have two... Uh, of the nasal sprays with you so that if you do happen to mess up the first one, you'll only ever do that once because you know that the next time you use it, you'll know how to use it and you won't waste it. It, It's such a miraculous antidote. It does nothing but the good stuff, yeah? Reverse the effects of opioid overdose. Indeed. That's great. Do you want to do just a quick summary? We sort of did a bit of coverage of what Karma does, but yeah. Okay, I'll do that. All right, so Karma believes all people who use drugs should be treated with dignity and respect as human beings and consumers of health and social services. Karma works to reduce the harm uh, and discrimination experienced by drug users and speaks for our community's equal rights by progressing drug law reform uh, agendas. How important is that? Really important. We need to understand that we 
should not stigmatise ourselves. It's very difficult. Our community, and I, sometimes I struggle to use the words because I don't think we're kind enough to each other because we're not very kind to ourselves. You know, we stigmatise ourselves and therefore we stigmatise our peers and that's not a great thing, people. No. Um, when you call someone a junkie because you are one yourself, you're only putting... You know, the doo-doo on yourself. There's a lot of nasty yeah. language used, which is really not helpful. Really um, pejorative terms, yeah. yeah? And junkie's one of them. We haven't been able to reclaim that. And, like, when we reclaimed users, suddenly computer users <laughs> stood up and said, hang on a second, we've got that one. So it's a really difficult it's to a, identify a, ourselves as drug users without... Um, exposing ourselves to discrimination yeah. and to stigma, especially if we feel stigmatised by doing As, it to yeah, ourselves. which a lot of people do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so CAM is a unique service in ACT. It operates on a peer-based, person-centred philosophy, which means we encourage and support people to speak on their own behalf and to participate directly in improving our lives. Um, Self-stigmatisation, which is what I was just talking about, is a means by which people who use drugs are constantly kept in a state of self-imposed alienation from broader society. It's something that karma is continually trying to address through education and community development initiatives designed to engender a sense of self-worth and of community inclusiveness and integration. As a peer-based group, we've got first-hand first knowledge and understanding of issues encountered by people who use illicit and other drugs. Yeah. Um, anyway, look, most of you know There's a lot all going on. Yeah. Karma's constantly expanding uh, the services it's providing, and you'll hear about them as they come either from us or by going to the Karma website, yep. which is info at karma.org.au, or you can call on 6253 and find out what's going on. There's the healthcare initiative, which is on Thursdays, yeah? Mitch does a lot of and good social on, media Oh, um, yes. There's stuff. A, look, we're doing things with directions and things with um, the early morning centre and things with, yep. you know, there's just... Hep C Council, just the collaboration, which is really important and a great initiative because it means that karma doesn't have to be responsible for the availability of services for drug users itself. The idea of educating other healthcare providers means that you can walk into, say, the Dixon Healthcare Centre and have your hands looked at. Um, if You've been, and by the way, there's a vein finder thing yeah, too. Got so the vein escape. Particularly if you turn up on Monday afternoons, yep. which is the best time, um, you can find out where you've got viable veins. It's a great piece of kit. So if people, oh, look, it's a wonderful yep. idea. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that's happening at Karma. And as I say, you know, new initiatives. I'm sorry, I don't want to say new initiatives because it drives me crazy when people say that. It's a double positive, if you like. Initiative means something new. So initiatives are coming up all the time. Yeah. And there's so much to do. It's like we've got – there's so much scope. There's no problem, yeah? Yeah, look, I think enormous amount of credit goes to Chris for his capacity to build partnerships. Yeah. And to um, – 
karma into a position where it's seen as an equal and legitimate part of the whole sector, um, not just an outlier who, you know... That's right. And in fact, it is being funded through drug and alcohol services as well, which originally it wasn't. It was simply through the uh, through Hep C and HIV AIDS. And let's That's hope we can get some more funding. From. That yeah. would be really important. Anyway, um, this news from the Drug Warfront uh, report um, covers news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and also around the world. Many of the articles featured come from um, sources, including mainstream media. Uh, the contents of this broadcast slash podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma doesn't condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic healthcare. Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people. Mm. Now, I've got a, um, a Johnny Winter um, track for one of our regulars who said uh, he'd like to hear a bit more. <laughs> this is from a live album called Johnny Winter and Live, and it's his take on the Stones classic, Jumpin' Jack Flash. Oh, right. <laughs>
Okay. Okay, that was Johnny Winter live and uh, his take on the Stones classic Jumpin' Jack Flash. I actually saw Johnny Winter live at the Palais in St Did Kilda you once. Yeah. Um, I mean, a puff of wind would blow him over. He was, you know, just not much of him. And he's um, albino as well. Yes, yeah, I know. But geez, he could rip some blues. He really could good. sure do it, couldn't he? All right, welcome back to News from the Drug War Front uh, from Studio One, 2 People Powered Radio. We've got a story about uh, five men charged after 52 kilograms of meth found on, quote, a black flight from PNG to Australia. This is from the ABC's website by Isabel Rowe, March the 23rd. Five men have been charged after allegedly organising a, quote, black flight from PNG to Sydney carrying 52 kilograms of methamphetamine in duffel bags. The Australian Federal Police alleged the men, all from New South Wales, are members of, quote, a transnational serious organised crime syndicate. Of course they are. Um, I doubt that they'd be joking. <laughs> which it has been watching for several months. Police say that on Monday, two men co-piloted a twin-engine Beechcraft light aircraft from Wilton, southwest of Sydney, to the rural town of Monto in Queensland's North Burnett region to refuel. They then flew to Bulolo in Papua New Guinea, where they allegedly collected 52 kilograms of methamphetamine hidden in duffel bags. It's alleged the pilots returned to central Queensland on a, quote, black flight, turning off the plane's transponder and flying at low altitude to avoid detection. I wondered how they Mm, did that. That's why it's called a black flight. Detective Chief Superintendent Jason Weinstein said the drugs are worth $15 million on this street. Quote, if you look at the size of this attempted importation that was essentially stopped, you're talking about 520,000 individual hits or deals, he says. Another spurious um, um, statistic, but nonetheless, it means a lot. AFP Commander Kate Ferry said three of the men were closely linked to the aviation industry. Quote, these men have not only allegedly imported a dangerous drug into Australia, but flying at low altitude without proper instructions poses a huge safety risk for other aircrafts, she said. They were met at the Monto airstrip by AFP officers who said they seized five duffel bags from the plane. Police raided homes and businesses in Wilton, Tarmore, Wollongong and Newcastle and made further arrests, including a 40-year-old Wilton man. The Wilton man was allegedly the principal facilitator of the importation, working on behalf of people funding the importation and with access to the supply of drugs. A Newcastle man, allegedly, who was 54, allegedly helped transport a tank of aviation gas to central Queensland for the pilots to refuel, while police say another man created 17 mobile phone accounts in his name. That probably would have looked a little bit suspicious right there, Geoffrey, I reckon. Yeah. The five men were charged with importing commercial quantities of border-controlled drugs and uh, four appeared before the Vandenberg Magistrates' Court yesterday. Mr Pitt... Uh, Yes, the 54-year-old appeared via video link this morning and was denied bail. Police say the black flight is not the first attempt by members of this group to transport illegal substances from Papua New Guinea into Australia. It's alleged the men attempted to import 550 kilograms of cocaine from Papua New Guinea in 2020, but the plane crashed during takeoff. Too heavy. 
550 <laughs> yes, probably. Uh, the pilot of that venture is serving an 18-year prison sentence in Papua New Guinea. It's an interesting story. It's a very it, interesting story. It mm. reminds me of... Um, there was so a they're fil- having a go at everything, not yeah. just ice but cocaine as well. Well, if there's money to be made, people will, will try anything. Yep. But there's been some great... Um, I mean, Mel Gibson was in a film about the CIA flying drugs, Air America, back in I think yes. Vietnam War. Now, there's been a lot of uh, examples of them up to that, to, you know, to fund other things that they want to do. Absolutely. That's, um, yes, it's not just uh, not just the bad boys or the identifiable bad boys no, that it's... are doing the uh, importation of drugs or the export, exporting of drugs. It's um, yeah, certainly a range of people from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of financial situations, but who just want more. Yeah, all more countries. Money. Look, it comes down to the mighty buck, doesn't it? Talking about easy money in, in the black yeah. market. Um, easy money. Well, especially if you uh, don't have to be on the plane or lift any of, yeah. do any of the heavy lifting. I know? mean, some of those pilots must have <laughs> strong anyway, um, just... nerves. And, um... Oh, look, the, yeah, the audacity that you have to have to be involved in something like that, yeah? And then the... Status. If you do actually get caught and you're sent to jail, it's really quite it's high stakes. Yeah, you know, what you get when you get to jail is actually status from the other prisoners. Yeah, and to a certain extent from the prison officers as well. Yeah, you know, because it's big bickies. Big bickies. Yep. Okay, we've got the national news coming up, and we shall return after that. We will. Yeah, it's four minutes after eleven. Welcome back to News from the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marin. Uh, from Studio One, um, People Powered Radio. Yeah. Public radio for everybody. Going since, what, over five decades, she said. That's Indeed. True. And if you like News from the Drug War Front or any of the myriad of other um, programs that are presented by your public radio, 2XX, um, sponsor yeah. us or 2XX. And show your support and get involved. You can become a volunteer or you could do the do training, training course, course on how to use the um, how to use the panel and how to actually run a program and have your own voice yeah. and focus on whatever you believe to be an important issue because if you believe it's an important issue, you can bet other people do too. It's a great community asset. Indeed. Okay, we had the story before the news about uh, the... 52 kilos of crystal meth coming in by plane. This is a piece about booty bumping meth, uh, harm reduction for an under-discussed under practice by Ceci Kubawara Blanchard. Stacey Cobine, a peer worker at a harm reduction centre in Northern California, works with a lot of people who use crystal methamphetamine. Sometimes when she sees people with severe cases of skin abscesses and track marks, she'll recommend an alternative to injecting that still offers the same quick hit. Booty bump it, she has advised. Booty bumping is the rectal administration of crystal meth. She's quoted as saying, I think it's a very good alternative if it's done right. She works with the Humboldt Area Harm Reduction Centre, which was founded by Brandy Wilson, who's now Executive Director of Chicago Recovery Alliance, who... um, did street training of naloxone early in the piece. Yes, um, they also, uh, sorry, the New York Recovery Alliance was also responsible for the initial um, the distribution of um, 
clean needles and syringes to injecting drug users in New York. Um, So the Recovery Alliance was actually of people who were peers but not necessarily using, often on methadone. So it's an interesting but kind of... Combination of people. Descriptive. Um, recovery alliance doesn't necessarily mean not using, just means not currently using injectables. But it's interesting that they have a couple of them around the country. I wonder if that's kind of the national descriptive label. I think they're mostly regionally focused, aren't they? Yeah, or state. they use a kind of a slightly off-centre yeah. or non-descriptive yeah. <laughs> term for their harm reduction activities. Yep. Uh, for cobine and many other harm reductionists, it's best to dissolve the drug in sterile water and squirt the solution into the anus with a needle-less, needle-less syringe. Obviously, don't want the needle yeah. on. People who booty bump should not share syringe barrels or cups used to prepare the meth solution, cautions London-based chemsex expert Ignacio Labien de, de Inza. But the practice helps, quote, prevent problems in the skin and veins associated with injection use, he told Filter. Mm. Combine has herself, or Cobine, sorry, has herself used the under-discussed meth consumption route when she, quote, couldn't get her shot because her veins were messed up from years of injection drug use. It also bypasses the lung and nasal irritation potentially caused by smoking or inhaling meth, as is the case with most other drugs ingested in these ways. But booty bumping meth has its own relative risks and harms. People might risk overdosing or overamping by using this consumption mode because, like intravenous injection, it provides rapid delivery that hits faster than swallowing or, um, yeah, bombing the drug. I have overamped, so, yeah, swallowing or taking through other methods. I have overamped from booty bumping. I was sweating so bad, this is a quote, I got sick to my stomach. Felt like my heart was going to come out of my chest. At the end of the quote, in that instance, she had let another person mix her solution, which she says is was likely more potent than she usually prepare for herself. So what happened to her was preventable. With booty bumping, don't ever let, don't ever mix up some, let anyone else mix up your stuff for you. While, quote, booty bumping is a great alternative to slamming or injecting it to prevent problems with the skin and veins, LeBay and Inza said, it's important to do it safely because of the fragility of the tissue of the rectum and anus. Uh, Directly inserting a crystallised drug into the anus is likely to irritate and break the tissue. Quote, I went around to a guy's place and he had no pipe or needles. I was so desperate for a hit, I stuck some of the rock crystal or rocks of crystal straight up my ass. Never going to do that again, <laughs> one man told Australian peer-led HIV/AIDS organisation, the Institute of Many. Using undissolved amphetamine, methamphetamine puts booty bumpers at more risk of being exposed to sexually transmitted infections, said Labay and Inza. Tears can be entry points for viruses like HIV or hepatitis C and A. Hepatitis A, that is. These may be introduced when sharing beauty bumping works, like syringes, or when having anal sex straight after the use, drug use, which is particularly common in queer and trans chemsex and party and play scenes. As a booty bumping specific harm reduction guide, and that's 
we'll put that on the website. Uh, Booty Bumpy, the, um, sorry, developed by La, the guide, developed by LaBay and Enza explains the potential risks of booty bumping are compounded by the tendency for people who use meth to take more sexual risks, like not using condoms than they otherwise would. And that's something we really need to remember and I think younger users need to remember. If you're going to booty bump, which is pretty much an American term, but it's a pretty cute use of language, booty bumping. Um, If that's what you're going to do, then we'll put the, uh, the method on the website because I don't want to explain it to you over the air. I think it's a little bit too explicit. Um... But it's really important to know how to use it, so I don't want you to not have access to the information. It's important you do know how to be safe when you're using And if this is a safe way of getting um, methamphetamine into you or safer way, then so be it. But that doesn't mean you don't have to look out for yourself in terms of sexually transmitted infection. STIs are easily transmitted. Yep particularly by anal sex, simply because of the capacity for tearing the skin. It's very fragile skin on the... I mean, your nose, your mouth, not your mouth so much, but particularly your anus and the vagina are very fragile mucous membrane tissues. So you've got to be careful about how you uh, insert hard plastic that's got corners on it yep. into those areas of your body. Anyway, so that's the end of the article except for the harm reduction tips on how to booty bump. Which we'll put on. And that will be on the website. So that's uh, info at karma.org.au. Well, I, think, I think the website's www.karma.org.au. Oh, that's, that's, that's the email You'd to do, contact them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. One of the best resources I ever came across, um, chemsex and those um, kind of issues, was the Amsterdam group. Um, I think they're called Mainline in Amsterdam. I remember yeah. when I was there for um, an AIDS conference some years back, um, going to their office and just being blown away by certain practices and issues that I was unfamiliar with. Um, and I just found the quality of their information e- excellent, very clear, very precise. Um, yeah, that's great. Very informative. And I think another issue, um, Marion, is there's a whole new generation of people and youngsters who are taking different types of drugs than yep. the ones perhaps you and I were um, familiar with back in the day. Um so harm reduction is constantly evolving Indeed. and changing. It's not just it's there set in perpetuity and that's it. Um, and a lot depends on who taught someone. That's right. It's about who, yeah, peer education in this instance is really important and about older people instructing younger people, not necessarily, or just being sexually involved with somebody who's a bit older than you or who a, a man and a, you know, a girl or an older woman and a younger man. I mean, who is instructing who in sexual activity? Yes. The, there was the end of that article. Sorry, for example, the that um, gentleman that did the... Uh, who was it? La Bayanda Inza, I beg your pardon, says, for example, recommends coating the inside of the anus with petroleum jelly before use to prevent tearing and then inserting 
uh, a vitamin E tablet, okay? And filtering the water. I just missed that bit at the end of the article. But anyway, we just wanted to tell you, let listeners know that the information on birdie bumping and how to do that safely will be on the website. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's why harm and reduction by the time services we get there. <laughs> are so important, Marion, because Absolutely. they can give out the trusted information yep. and, um, you know, recommendations to make it as safe as possible. You can't make it absolutely safe in a lot well, of instances. Well, look, the bottom line is if you – we're looking at harm reduction, Jeffrey, not harm – you know, not harm ab- – uh, not – we can't get rid of the whole lot of harm because we don't know what the quality and the quantity of the drugs are that people are using when they buy them on the street or through the black market and or what through people the have websites. Learned, who they've learned it from. Yep. Um, we don't know how people have got their information, where they've got their drugs from. They don't know often where they've come from and what's in them unless they've been to the drug checking station, That's which is another thing we didn't talk about. Can test is that such is a novelty and great to see. So yeah, take note of what information is out there. Learn how to use your drugs safely or as safely as, as you, you can. can. Yeah. It's the same with safe sex. Yeah. We don't talk we talk about safe sex, but safer sex really. And yeah. it's just a matter of shortening the name so that we don't bore people silly. Yeah, but it's not like these issues and are again. done and dusted, you know. It's all over. It's I not mean, over. HIV has not gone away. Hepatitis C has not gone away. Sexually transmitted infection, infections have not gone away. They're no. still there, um, but they're still avoidable. Should give another plug for the um, ABC four-part series uh, In Our Blood, which is looking Indeed. at um, a dramatic version of the government's response, federal government's response to the onset of HIV AIDS and Indeed. how yep. they achieve such um, outstanding it's a it's an interesting um, series Jeffrey it's a um, I'm pleased to say that it's there but there's been so much uh, discussion if you like and sometimes competition about who was first with what yes, kind of yeah. you know proactive as um, happens harm or harm reduction activities were available but it really did introduce the concept of peer education to the yes. government yeah. and the wider community, and that's really important. Hugely important. Don't care who did that first. The thing is that it's it here. It was done. And yeah. it's accepted. Yeah. And it happens, and it is the best way to get particularly sensitive information. That's the, If you have a look at the, um, the health, you know, the secretary for the... Minister for Health, if you like, or rather the Department of Health, who was really um, reluctant to mention gay men or men having sex with men or injecting drug users. They really didn't talk about, they didn't want to label I'm sure HIV there was a AIDS lot of as concern. anything. So yeah. they called it by an acronym, yes. put it on um, an agenda with 240 other articles or items and made it number two. 220 or something. So it's really important that peer education is used because it's a necessary tool for getting information that other people don't want to talk about across to their peers. Yeah. Best avenue. It was a Doctors listen to doctors, drug users listen to drug users. It was a magnificent uh, public health triumph. Absolutely. And if people are unfamiliar with the history, you can stream the four episodes on the ABC's iView. 
um, back-to-back, which I watched all four in a row. And it is a fictionalised version. Yeah, it's a a dramatic version. it still has, you know, it's still historically reasonably accurate. Yes. And but just remember that it is fictionalised and yeah. it doesn't use the names of people who were involved. But you know, many of the people who were involved, it's some of them based are dead, on real people, and some yeah. of them are still alive because of the information yeah. that they obtained in the early days. Yeah, yeah. back in the day, nineteen eighties. Strongly recommend you watch it if you can. Yeah, it's well worth it, and it's on. It's available to stream. Yep. Um, but it's also on Saturday nights and Sunday nights on the ABC. Yeah. Okay, play a song. This is uh, Lynette Skinner and The Needle and the Spoon.
All right, it's coming up uh, about 23 minutes after 11. You're listening to News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation, from uh, 2XXFM, People Powered Radio 98.3, and uh, Jeff and Marion in Studio One. Uh, we mentioned earlier in the show about this story from Brazil, and there's been a, a very important, close, but victorious change of presidency in Brazil. And uh, Lula, to give him his short name, his full name is Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva, but he's better known as Lula, uh, is now back in office. At first glance, uh, Brazilian President Lula, Lula's cabinet looks very different from that of his predecessor, Jair Bolsonaro. It comprises many scientists and other experts in their respective fields, where the previous administration favoured military and neoliberal ideologues. Minister of Health Silvio de Almeida is among those who say they support a public health approach to drug use rather than a carceral one. But time and again, we see lip service performed by officials we call progressive while we wait for their actions to match their words. In a March the 7th interview with BBC Brazil, Almeida said he supports decriminalisation in light of Brazil's mass incarceration crisis. He right. acknowledged, yeah, which good, at least he's acknowledged it. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just thinking at least that explains why the, what the title is all about, yes? How drug decriminalisation fueled Brazil's mass incarceration crisis, yeah. the title of the article. So it gets to the reality of it. The facts down... Bolsonaro, like, yeah. lock, locking people up or... Absolutely. Well, whole favelas yeah. often, yeah? Yeah. Oh, it was really violent and really ugly. Indeed. Um, he acknowledged that Brazil's previous efforts at decriminalisation are, in fact, what facilitated the crisis. But he did not acknowledge that decriminalisation, even a more suitable model of it, would do nothing to reduce the current prison population, nor stop police officers from applying the law however they wanted. The partial decriminalisation policy implemented under Lula's first administration in 2006 was, in fact, a bit of a disaster. It applied only to possession for personal use, but did not establish any thresholds that defined it, leaving police officers with the power to decide whether they wanted to arrest drug users for possession or for trafficking. uh, Trafficking comprised nearly half of all convictions by 2015. Nearly half. Trafficking. Police, of course, tend to decide um, that so-called traffickers are black people and indigenous people, along with women who are caught trying to bring relatively small quantities of drugs to incarcerated relatives and loved ones. Over the next decade, rates of incarceration rose 27%. Trafficking, which made up about 11% of convictions prior to the decriminalisation of personal possession, comprised nearly half of all convictions by 2015. Convictions for trafficking bring longer sentences than those for possession, and today there are more than 800,000 people currently in Brazil's prisons. The country's mass incarceration crisis is behind only those in the US and China. Almeida told BBC Brazil that the Supreme Court should move forward with the long-delayed hearing of a 2015 lawsuit brought by the Sao Paulo State Police state public defender, which argues that it is illegal to criminalise personal possession, which since, since 2006 has been punishable through community service rather than incarceration. Mm. And the lawsuit should indeed move forward. But possession convictions are not the crux of the issue, and he knows that. Nonetheless, Almeida confirmed that the administration is not currently pressuring the Supreme Court to hear the lawsuit. Mm. 
So not high on the agenda, Jeffrey. No. In about three out of four trafficking arrests, police are the only witnesses. One study found that between 2005 and 2017, the average quantity of crack cocaine that led to police to arrest someone for trafficking was just 9.4 grams. Black people are convicted of trafficking at higher rates than white people for lower quantities of drugs. And that's really about police discretionary powers, yes. isn't it? Yes, yeah. It's And their ability to identify people by um, stigmatisation and by identification of black people who live in favelas or, you know, by specific characteristics anyway. Um it's not unusual for, or not uncommon, sorry, for police officers to plant drugs on those they wish to incriminate. That's not unusual. In 2019, a proposed bill to attempt to address the criminalisation of women as, quote, traffickers for bringing small amounts of drugs to incarcerated loved ones. It suggested a personal possession threshold of 10 doses. Again, another uh, discretionary uh, amount, which police surely would have interpreted however they wanted as well. Advocates and public figures have been calling on Lula to review the current model, by which they usually mean establishing thresholds. But there is no threshold for personal possession, no matter how clearly defined, that would disempower a militarised police force from carrying out state violence or state-sanctioned violence against low-income people of marginalised race and genders. It's not uncommon for police officers to plant drugs on those they wish to incriminate, and that's no universal, Jeffrey, yeah, is it not? Not just Brazil. No. Universal. Yeah. Though Almeida framed decriminalisation as a response to the mass incarceration crisis, neither he nor the rest of the administration have called for decarceration measures like commuting drug-related sentences, even in limited numbers. They parrot generic narratives about decriminalising drugs to reduce the number of people in prison when even these words, empty thus far, don't describe anything that would free them. And I think that that's an important point. It is one point really reiterated throughout the whole article is how do you identify an amount for personal possession or a quantity for personal possession and not allow the police to use their discretion because that's, they will. that's yeah. the point. Yes, yeah? I agree. Give people discretion and they will use that opportunity to empower themselves and disempower the people they are targeting. Yeah. Case, a colour, gender and age. Yeah. I guess would be the three issues that really would be confronting them. It's a big issue in Brazil. Um, Very big issue. Racism and but but universal too, Jeffrey. I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 yeah so look, I mean, our incarceration rate of black people or indigenous people is appalling, atrocious. Yeah. And I think it's a, as I say, universal issue. So not only Brazil, but interesting that they are now talking about it openly in Brazil. Yep. Now that Lula is in power. There was a companion piece that sort of went along uh, with this article, but it was a, a bit too long um, to put on the radio, but it was it was looking at the impact of drug laws on environmental vandalism, like the fact that Bolsonaro let um, yep. people 
clear forest and bring in cattle or plant, you know, um, soybeans or and, and, uh, oh, illegal yes. gold miners. And all the palm oil, which is palm really oil. atrocious. Really. One of the worst was uh, illegal gold miners who destroyed yes. parts of rivers that made it uninhabitable. There have been some really interesting um, programs on NITV, Jeffrey, oh, right. that have been about... Uh, investigating the Amazon and the state of play up and down the Amazon. And this is done by a guy who was born in Brazil but has never been up the Amazon to have a look at the uh, indigenous community. So it's really they're really worth looking it's really worth looking at. Usually on around about six thirty, quarter to seven at night and goes until about half past seven. Uh, and tends to vary from week to week which night it's on. But yep. they're really interesting uh, um, it, both about drugs, the treatment of Indigenous people and about the Amazon itself because yep. there are a range of uh, issues all national, you know, Indigenous yeah. people up and down the Amazon yep. and well, issues. So it's they're really it's a great show. Anyway, just important stuff and things that we think about all the time. We're not just, not just drug-related matters, the, you know, the... The way the planet's going and the way the government's going, political stuff. Drug use is political as yeah. much as anything else. Yeah, and the impacts are so broad. Absolutely, and the and policing of drug use is political as well. Oh, absolutely. And so we can, and we can't ignore all of that. Not, not and live honestly in the world, can no. we? It's like saying. You know, it's not a sex issue. It's not a gender issue. I beg your pardon, not a sex issue. Not a gender issue. It's not an age issue. Well, it is. It's all of those things. And stigmatisation of, you know, First Nations people or of women or of men of a particular age or of people who live in a particular area is traditional They're and real it's universal. Issues. Yeah. yeah. I'm sort of hoping with the change of government in New South Wales, because as we, people listen to the show will know, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, com- com- commissions of inquiry into ICE where they ignore the recommendations, the fact they've got police walking in the streets with sniffer dogs, harassing people, um, you know, a lot, a lot of hardline policies. I didn't hear anything specifically from Labor in terms of a policy, but I'd like to think they ease up on some of that heavy-handed... It will be interesting to see how they go. We've now got six out of seven states that are Labor states, right? The whole mainland. (laughs) The whole of the mainland. Tasmania is the only place that is not um, uh, Labor-governed. And I would be interested to see if they maybe could get a national movement on uh, the same level playing field that, excuse me, they can talk about at the um, premiers' meetings, yeah, and and maybe organise a national, a federal legislation about I don't know peer education or harm reduction or safe drug using legislation, or maybe having a look at Canberra because although Canberra feels like a bubble, it is in some ways very much a bubble, but it is. Also, a good population for trialling oh, um, innovative measures for drug consumption, and that's indeed. what's been happening over the last 
12 months, two years, and yeah. and sim- particularly since the change of government, so the, the last six months or so. Yeah. I hope they make the most of the opportunity, rare opportunity of having Labor governments across the in whole. In most, in all the, the states and federally, yeah. yeah. It makes a huge difference to enacting particular legislation because they're not going to tread on the ACT because it's a federal Labor government and a, fe- and a state well, territory Might get a Labor fair go, government. finally. Might get a real... Well, Katie um, Gallia is... Uh, Finance has a, a, Well, she's one of the Senior chosen people. few, one yeah. of the anointed ones. Yeah. So, And she's our ex uh, minister. chief minister. Yeah. So she has a lot to do in the same way as... Um, that guy from the other side of the lake, <laughs> the Liberal Party, when, although he resigned, he had the same influence on the Liberal government as Katie Gallagher has on the Labor government. And I think it's useful maybe to get in touch with Katie and say, look, how about taking a leaf out of Canberra's books and looking at it federally, seeing if it works federally? I think there's been a lot of behind-the-scenes work with the decrim. I'm thinking that probably there is too. And I might be preaching to the converted, but I just think that a lot of what we have to offer in the ACT would work everywhere. Yeah. It's not – it's just that we have a smaller population and maybe easier to look at. Anyway. It's a big opportunity. Great opportunities now. All right. I might play a song. This is – What a good idea. The Doors and – I think it's from the movie The Doors, but uh, this is uh, Break On Through (laughs) by The Doors. You know the day destroys the night, night divides the day. Chased our pleasures here, dug our treasures there.
All right, that was the doors and uh, break on through. It's I did know that one, Jeffrey. I beg your pardon. Yeah, I, mean, the, I just didn't remember it. Yeah, the Doors were a pretty influential band back in oh, the day. Oh, yeah, and um, they still are, actually. If yeah. you think about it, a lot of people still see um, Jim Morrison as a fairly potent figure. Many people still go to visit his grave in Paris. I, I went to his grave in Paris and had oh, a look. Well, there you go. <laughs> people have left bottles of various stuff and, you know, all sorts of little mementos. So. yeah. All right, it's uh, 21 minutes to midday. We're into the home stretch. Um, this one I thought was sort of bizarre. It's from Feldsmag by Cole Yeager, March 23rd. The governor of New York wants illicit cannabis crackdown amid a slow rollout of legal cannabis. So he's not happy that the, no, the legal system's... Not picking it up and pick, running with it as much not, not as they make, ought to be. Yeah, yeah, not making as much as it should be. Yeah, and, not, not being able to tax it as well as like. Because <laughs> in some be states... Been rolling in taxes. Absolutely. When, you know. Anyway, New York's governor is introducing legislation to increase enforcement authority to crack down on illicit marijuana retailers as the state struggles to stand up to the regulated adult use market. The action came on the same day that Assembly Republicans sent a letter to the administration requesting an audit of the state's adult use cannabis program amid controversy over the protracted implementation process. The governor, Kathy Hochul, Democrat, announced on March the 22nd that her new program bill would amend, amend the state's cannabis laws by giving regulators at the Office of Cannabis Management, Department of Taxation and Finance and Law Enforcement enhanced authority to stamp out the hundreds of legal businesses operating in New York. Mm. And as a quote, the continued existence of illegal dispensaries is unacceptable. <laughs> Illicit retailers could now face fines exceeding $10,000 per day. Wow. That's stiff. That's, a, that's hefty, isn't It'll it? put you out of business pretty quick. Is that what they were expecting in tax, maybe? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> uh, if we can't get in tax, we'll make it in uh, fines. We'll make it up in fines, yep. Um, could face fines exceeding $10,000 a day for violating the law by selling cannabis products without a licence. As it stands, those illegal operators far outnumber businesses in the regulated industry. Quote, over the past several weeks, I've been working with the legislature on new legislation to improve New York's regulatory structure for cannabis products, the governor said. The continued existence of illegal dispensaries is unacceptable and we need additional enforcement tools to protect New Yorkers from dangerous products and support our equity initiatives. So ones without a licence are dangerous yes. products. <laughs> <laughs> That's, no, I just have to laugh. Illicit operators that are growing cannabis plants or manufacturing products could face fines of up to $200,000 under the proposal. Wow. Which has been transmitted to the state and also the Assembly. Wow. Assembly Republicans are also putting pressure on the administration about the, quote, proliferation of illegal shops, end quote, which the lawmakers said in a March 22nd letter was entirely predictable. Quote, prior to the passage of the legalisation law, concerns were raised about the legalisation of cannabis opening up a black market, they wrote, because the state is responsible for creating the current market conditions. We would like to know how state officials intend to respond. End quote. Separately, the Coalition for Access to Regulated and Safe Cannabis, or CASC, which represents several well-known multi-state marijuana companies that currently operate medical cannabis businesses in New York, recently filed a lawsuit against the uh, 
oper- the OCM in the state superior court. The coalition is alleging that regulators have violated the state's marijuana laws by precluding vertically integrated, quote, registered organisations from initial licensing rollout and instead prioritising people from communities harmed by the drug wars. The businesses are asking the court to mandate that regulators start more broadly approving retail licences. As it stands, relatively few New Yorkers have access to nearby legal adult-use dispensaries. Only five shops have opened their doors as regulators seek to prioritise social equity licensing applicants who have been most impacted by the drug war. The... uh, OCM, the opera, yeah, has faced criticism, including from out-of-state officials like the Governor of Connecticut, uh, which is part of the tri-state area, for opening so few retailers in recent months, despite significant demand in the populous state. Regulators did announce this month that they are doubling the number of conditional adult-use marijuana licences that can be approved, from 150 to 300 after receiving feedback from certain applicants that they would be able to more expeditiously open storefronts without additional support through a state program designed to help eligible entities create physical locations. Hochul visited one of the handful of currently operating cannabis retailers late last month, though she didn't buy anything unsurprisingly, even as she signalled openness to trying marijuana in the future. In December, uh, the Governor separately unveiled a marijuana business and product verification tool with plants to post a QR code on licensed cannabis retailers and a universal symbol label for authorised cannabis products. The Governor also signed a bill in late November aimed at expanding the state's hemp market by promoting collaborative partnerships to identify more opportunities to utilise the crop and its derivatives for packaging, construction and other purposes. That sounds fairly sensible, doesn't it, Jeffrey? Yeah, it does. Meanwhile, New York lawmakers approved a bill on March the 21st, that's only a week ago, that would require public health insurance providers in the state to include medical marijuana as a covered prescription drug, that's interesting, and authorise private insurers to do the same. Also, New York lawmakers recently filed legislation for this year's session to legalise certain psychedelics like psilocybin and ibogaine or Ibogaine, for adults 21 and older. Separate legislation would broadly decriminalise drug possession. Far more New Yorkers believe that consuming alcohol is a serious public health problem compared to the minority who feel the same about marijuana, according to a recent survey conducted by state officials. That is very interesting. There's also minority or majority support, I beg your pardon, for the state's adult use cannabis law, and a plurality of New Yorkers additionally favour having marijuana retailers open up in their communities. That's really interesting. So they've really they've done some interesting research and then don't have any not in my backyard stuff going on. In fact, quite the opposite. The people are saying that they're open to having um, marijuana dispensaries next door or nearby. I think and the I momentum think that makes sense. The momentum is definitely on yeah. um, 
liberalising laws, yeah. The truth is it is on in Australia too. So it's really, you know, that I mean, not in terms of uh, legality but certainly in terms of availability and and the demand is there, oh, Jeffrey. absolutely. People want to have cannabis there for their psych and physical health and and they are seeking it and going online having fine consultations and having it delivered and that's working quite well but if you can it's afford expensive it. yep. and that's the problem so that's why i just say it's interesting that they're looking to make it available through the um the insurance system that might be a great idea particularly in the in australia if we're going to make it legally available then we think about maybe putting it under the pharmaceutical benefit scheme that in be- some form because a lot of the people that need it, particularly for psych health, not going to have that kind of money. And it really is taking a couple of hundred bucks to get uh, a prescription delivered to you without yeah. even thinking about the cost of the... Which is not uh, cheap. Well, the Medicare actually, the char- the the phone call consultation is a Medicare charge. Okay. But actually getting the, the drugs delivered is costly. So yeah. you have to pay for them up front. Yeah, look, one of the good things about um, some of the states in America is they have what they call citizen-initiated citizen referenda. Yes. Where if you get enough signatures on a particular issue... That they will start to talk, yeah. It goes to the next election as a, an issue to vote on yes or no. Haven't we had something similar, Jeffrey? Didn't we have something similar to that when we were talking about... Um, I don't know if it was about HIV... Um, well, the civil union plebiscite I mean, was... We have, plebiscite might be the word I've been looking for, but I know that we've had um, submissions to the federal government. Um, no, they actually go in the form of a... Um, uh, like a thousand signatures, um, a minimum numbers of signature, to uh, signatures to signatures that will ins- uh, initiate yeah. discussion in the federal yeah. parliament. Anyway, yeah, but no, we don't have a way where we can. No, we actually, don't have a citizen initiated it. Yeah, and make that law whether yeah. the politicians like it or not. So, yeah. I mean, oh, that's I, ha- it's an interesting concept, though, isn't it? Well, it, 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 it sounds well, like. A lot more democratic, I would have thought. Well, uh, yeah, it actually sounds really intriguing. I'd love to see something like that. Yeah. Um, in the ACT even, yeah? Be great. So the federal government could tread on it at will. <laughs> well, at the moment we just get to vote, you know, what, once every three years or four years, um, put your bit of paper in the and, ballot and then there's yeah, no... And, and we don't get to fight to vote for issues as, much, as no. such. We get to vote for people. And there's no requirement no. for them to honour promises. You know, circumstances and can change or... And because we elect people, they say, well, I've been, they've been given a mandate for a particular policy and that's not necessarily true. Well, especially it's if they haven't mentioned it. It's just don't want to vote for somebody else <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. Yes, it's a very um, shifting sort of yes, area. Yes, movable face, Movable face, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, might play a quick song. Um, this is Motorhead and their classic Ace of Spades. I'm sure there'll be a few people will enjoy this one.
into the last few minutes of this week's show that was of course Motorhead and Ace of Spades we'll try and whip through an article I came across um, yesterday, 27th of March, uh, new inspector of correctional services says all voices in Canberra jail, Canberra's jail need to be heard. The ACT's new homegrown inspector of correctional services has spoken about the importance of hearing from all those who reside or work at the Territory's jail to improve condition. conditions Quote, the voices of people in detention and their lived experience needs to be heard, as well as the voices of other key stakeholders, including staff, said Rebecca Minty. People are sent to jail as punishment, not for punishment, but actually one third of people in the AMC and higher in youth detention are on remand and have not been convicted of anything. It's important as a society how we treat people in detention as almost all will return to the community. Canberra raised Ms Minty recently began her five-year term as the ACT's second Inspector of Correctional Services. The position was established in 2017 to provide independent oversight of adult corrections and youth justice facilities in the ACT. Ms Minty said her aim uh, was to produce meaningful reviews by drawing on evidence and voices of those in detention, staff and stakeholders. Um, maybe you could... Finish off um, the second page. No problems. Okay. All right. But she also said that her officer's last review had found a lack of structured activities and boredom in the jail. And this is true. That's um, I've heard that too. And there hadn't been any educational programs for more than a year. She said in the ACT statistics showed that 38% of the people had been in custody and will return to custody within two years. The rate was even higher for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders at 44%. Ms Minty said structured activities such as meaningful work and programs were, quote, so important for people to keep out of jail, for keeping people out of jail after they're released. Quote, what needs to be focused on is structured activity to reduce the likelihood that people will come back and be able to get out on in the community, she said. But she also had seen improvements over the past few years. For instance, her office had identified that there were no female, female Indigenous Australian liaison officers at the jail, so such a position was created. Long overdue. 
About, well, about time too. And it's one jail for everyone, and that includes women. And women make up about 7% of the AMC population. What we constantly see is they miss out on programs, supports, activities, and access, I might add. And always have done so. They have done ever since we've had a remand centre, actually. Ms Minty's background is in law, and she spent most of her life in Canberra, saying the city was definitely home. That's in quotes. But she's worked overseas as well. She worked for the Geneva-based non-government organisation, the Association for Prevention of Torture, on their Asia-Pacific program from 2012 to 2016, then in Bangkok in 2016 as Human Rights Officer for the office, UN Office of uh, High Commissioner for Human Rights. That's interesting. She might be able to tell us what human rights compliant might mean. Actually means, yeah. Yeah. She's also co-founder of the Australian Optimal Protocol for the Convention Against uh, Torture Network, or OPCAT, a group of civil society academics, oversight entities and individuals interested in Australia's ratification and implementation of the OPCAT. Ms Minty helped Mr McAllister set up the officer of the inspector five years ago and took a job as his deputy, saying, quote, the amount he achieved is really impressive, end quote. I'm excited to take up the role, uh, the role, she said, and see it as a really important challenge. It's a big responsibility, but one I think is incredibly important. The Minister for Corrections, Mr Mick Gentleman, welcome Miss Minty to the role and thank Mr McAllister for his service to the ACT. Miss Minty brings a wealth of experience. Anyway, that's interesting enough, but I would like to see... And I didn't read it because I left it out, Jeffrey. But yeah. there, um, it says she's aiming to produce meaningful reviews by drawing on evidence and voices of those in detention, including those who, you know, run the jail and who are the stakeholders in at all levels. But I would like to see um, what definition of what human rights compliant is. We well, still have not seen any um, evidence. And we've been waiting since it was We've built. been asking about that for how long? Long time. How long's AMC been open? Since 2002? Certainly since I came out of uh, New South Wales prison system. But let's hope she can really uh, turn this uh, well, into... Well, I think, you know, the community involvement in AMC programming is really important yes. and the education of prisoners into some other job, uh, some other role is also really important. It has to be Not education, being a training. Professional priv- no, prisoner, which it, is what happens. Stimulation, it's you know. It's a swinging door syndrome, yeah? It, yeah, education is crucial, like and more than just being stuck in a hole. That's it? right. Some people use prison for keeping them behave, behave, to be from keeping, starting them to behave well. Yeah. And then when they come out of prison, that's when they run right yeah. because they have no one to say stop. And it's like the parents don't tell them, yeah, that no, no community uh, organisation that basically says congratulations for being a good citizen. So yeah. being in jail is the only way they can control their behaviour because they have no internal boundaries, no well, we'll nothing keep, that cuts them keep off. Keep an eye on how she goes. Yeah, and watch any this space. And... Um, that's it for another show. Yes, we'll leave it you certainly with is. A minute of uh, Alison Chains. I've got to bring Golden Brown. Oh no! We've got uh, Rooster by uh, Alison Chains. We should sing it for you. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
picture like sun Lays me down with my mind She runs throughout the night No need to fight Never a frown with golden brown Every time just like the last On her ship tied to the mast Two distant lands Takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown Golden brown, fine attemptress through the ages she's heading west From far away, stays for a day Never a frown